Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Wes just mentioned we're going to be reading together today 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 to 17. Not only is this our scripture reading, but it's the passage that Jamie's going to be sharing with us today as he preaches to us. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts... Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Harvest. Uh, We're all familiar in one form or another with suffering. Sometimes that suffering is physical suffering because we're feeling the effects of the fall, uh, whether that's illness that you might have or a virus or a condition uh, that doesn't go away. Uh, Sometimes we experience suffering at our own hand. Uh, You may have heard the phrase, uh, choose to sin, choose to suffer. Maybe you've made mistakes, broken the law, done different things, and you're suffering as a result. Sometimes we can accept that reality because we realize we did this and we're experiencing this. But there's one kind of suffering that we can have a hard time grappling with, and that's suffering when we do what's right. Suffering for doing good. And Peter, as he addresses his readers, uh, wants them to look differently when they suffer for doing good. Remember the context of this book? Uh, Peter is writing to a group of believers that have been dispersed uh, because of persecution. Uh, They're going to be experiencing persecution in an increasing manner. And he wants them to look differently. Remember the last uh, number of passages we looked at in Peter? Uh, Peter exhorted us to, to look differently when we, uh, you know, as we respond to governing authorities, to look differently as we submit to our uh, bosses or those in authority in our lives, to look differently uh, as uh, wives submit to husbands and as husbands leaves wives. That should look different. And so as we come to our passage, uh, Peter says, finally. So he's saying finally because he's, he's walked through some different 
parts of our lives and says, look differently. I want you to look like Christ. Just briefly look back at 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 21. He says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. So that's what Peter's been doing as we've walked through this text. He's wanting us to look to Christ, to entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. And as we come to the topic of suffering, particularly suffering for doing good, we want to entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. We want to stand firm in suffering. And we're going to look at three exhortations this morning. Exhortation number one is bless and be blessed in the midst of suffering. Bless and be blessed in the midst of suffering. He starts with, finally, all of you, Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. He's laying a foundation. So before talking about how should you respond when suffering comes, when you would suffer unjustly, there's a foundation that you need to have because you need to be protected. As you know, if uh, if you know about the the condition of HIV, if you contract HIV, HIV actually attacks the lymphocytes, which are a main component in your immune system. It weakens your body so that when opposition comes, when viruses comes, your body is weak. So people who contract HIV oftentimes don't die from HIV. They die from something else because their immune system is weakened. And in the church, it's going to be hard enough to endure suffering for righteousness without having there be disunity in the church. And Peter wants to address that. He knows that. He knows that the enemy wants to come and steal, kill, and destroy. He wants us to be divided. The reason there's the phrase divide and conquer is because those who want to conquer their enemies, they realize if they can bring division, then it's much easier to conquer. And so Peter wants his readers, and we need to stand firm, and we need to be aware there's an enemy that wants us to be divided. So even before, how do we respond? We want to build up strong. We want to be a healthy body. So we're exhorted to have unity of mind, to be like-minded. That doesn't mean that we need to be all exactly the same, but we need to cooperate in the midst of diversity. We need to fight against divisiveness or slander or malice because that weakens the body. We want to have sympathy for one another. That means sharing. That means being close enough that we understand the pain that's going on in the lives of others. We want to fight against hard-heartedness that we would have against others. We want to have brotherly love. Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. 1 Peter 4.8 says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers 
a multitude of sin. Like last week, we talked about cultivating a heart of thankfulness because we want to have love for one another. We want to have a tender heart, as it says. We want to be compassionate towards one another. And lastly, we want to have a humble mind. That means others first. We, we want to serve. We want to care for the saints. We want to think of others first. It's not me first. It's others first. Now, all of these attributes help us to be a healthy body so that we can endure when opposition comes because we're going to need one another. We're going to need to encourage one another when that comes. So I want to ask you, do you have these attributes? And if you don't, I want to encourage you to ask why. And and I want to encourage you to ask, are you looking to Christ? Have you allowed bitterness or being judgmental to seep in? Friends, the reminder for us is that at one time, back in verse 25 of chapter 2, it says, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter, again and again, is reminding us, look back to Christ. Be reminded of what Christ has done. And when we look to Christ, it helps us to carry out these very things. So we want to lay the foundation of being a blessing to others in the church so that there can be strength. There's a reality, friends. Figuring out how we gather here or maybe some churches in our nation, figuring out how to gather at all because they live in states that have put on regulations, that's really not the problem. That's really not the hardest thing. There's a swell in our culture and in our world that is in increasing opposition to the gospel. There's a collision coming apart from, which we're praying for, apart from revival that would happen in our nation and around the world. And we want to pray that revival would come. We want to pray that leaders would repent. We want to pray that our neighbors would repent and we would see the fruits of repentance. But if that doesn't happen, there's something that's marching against the gospel. And we need to be aware of that. And we need to be ready for that. We don't need to fear that that's coming, but we need to be aware that that's coming. And we need to strengthen one another because the body needs to be strong when that comes so that we can endure and give God glory. Because if you simply believe that the Bible is true and that Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with God, there are those that will hate you. And that's not just something that is happening in a far-off land in the Middle East or in Africa. There are those that are, are spewing words and rhetoric. Right now, it's words. But one day, it might not be. And it's my prayer that this church studies these truths so it's foundational for us. So when that comes, we can bring glory to God. But again, we should not fear because when these things come, we know Christ is coming. So what do we do when that opposition comes? As with this church is strong, we want to be a blessing. We want to be a blessing to those outside the church. Look at verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless 
for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. That's completely countercultural, right? Do not repay evil for evil. When someone does something wrong to you, what's your, what's your first gut reaction? Oh, I just, I just want to give them a gift. I want to bake them a cake. No. When something comes at you, your first gut reaction, this is wrong because it is wrong. It's not just something has happened that wasn't supposed to happen in creation. And you just, you feel that. You want to respond to it. So Peter flips this idea of that, that we feel in our flesh on its head and says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but bless. So he doesn't even just stop and say, well, turn the other cheek. He says, go the extra mile. No, no, let's, let's bless them. And I know that's going to look different in different contexts, but here's a, a story that, that helps me to frame what, what this could look like. The example of Dirk Willems. In the 16th century Netherlands, Dirk Willems had been labeled an Anabaptist during the rule of Spanish Catholics, and he was imprisoned. And he was running for his life, literally. He had escaped out of the tiny window and lowered himself on a rope made of old rags. So he'd escaped from probably prison somewhere. He landed on the frozen pond along the side of the prison wall. He stepped gingerly on the ice, wondering if he would fall through. But months of starvation that he had endured in prison now served him well because he barely weighed 100 pounds. Before he reached the other side of the pond, a scream broke out in the night silence that said, halt, immediately, yelled the guard, coming out the window Dirk had climbed through only moments ago. Dirk was too close to freedom. He kept going. The guard yelled again as he set foot on the ice, and quickly he began to chase after Dirk. But on his third step, there was a crack. A splash followed as the guard fell through the ice. His screams changed to shrieks of cold and terror. Help me, please, help me. Dirk paused, looking toward freedom. Then he turned and quickly made his way back to the prison pond. He lay on his stomach and stretched his arm to rescue the nearly frozen guard. In sarcastic gratitude, the guard grabbed Dirk and ordered him back to his cell. Despite his heroism, Dirk was burned at the stake for his faith. Friends, our response to blessing in the face of opposition, it's not a guarantee that it will immediately change the heart of the one who is opposing us. It's not a guarantee. But that doesn't change the call 
That doesn't change the glory it brings to God. That doesn't change. Because what Dirk did reflected what his Savior did. Because Christ went to the cross absolutely innocent. And yet he paid the penalty for the sins of those who would put their trust in him. He received what he did not deserve. And when you face opposition for your faith and receive what you do not deserve, you reflect Christ. You reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that there is a blessing that comes when we're persecuted for righteousness. Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Dirk would have held on to that truth because his freedom of getting away, he realized wasn't the most amazing freedom that he could experience. The freedom that he was looking to was the freedom that he had in Christ. The freedom that he was going to have when he saw Jesus face to face in endless days. That's where his gaze was. It wasn't in this world or the blessings in this world. It was in the blessings that are to come. So be a blessing to those outside the church. Be a blessing to those who come at you with opposition. In particular, be a blessing to those who are persecuting you because you are in Christ and because you're a Christian. And know that blessing will come to you when you pursue righteousness. Peter quotes from Psalm 34, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That's, that's blessing, friends. As we pursue righteousness, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. He hears the prayers of the righteous. You can come before him at any time and make requests because of what Jesus has done. That's the blessing. But even if you suffer for it, you will be blessed. Look at verse 13 and 14. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Even in this day, with all that's going on, certainly there's conversation and talk about the end times. Is this, is this the actual end times? Are these just signs of the end times? I don't know. But our response is still the same. We need not fear. Because if it is the end times, that just means that Jesus is coming back. If we do lose everything that we have 
because of Christ. That means Jesus is coming back and we're counted blessed. And there's blessing that comes for us. And we should look forward to that and anticipate that and be excited about that. See, the first century believers who would have read this, they weren't in the context where they were afraid of the last days. They were actually eagerly anticipating the last days. That brought excitement because that excitement was the reality that Jesus had gone to be with the Father and Jesus was coming back and they desired to be in his presence. So know that blessing comes as we continue to pursue righteousness. We want to bless and be blessed. But as that opposition comes, we want to be ready. We want to be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in us. Look at verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. We need to be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. But I want to ask, are, is your character and your countenance and your example such that Others are going to ask you to give a defense. Others are going to ask you, what is this hope that is in you? Crisis often creates opportunity. So when opposition comes, it's, it's going to be, you've, you've heard the illustration, you know, you, you squeeze the tube of toothpaste, and when you squeeze it, what's in the tube comes out of the tube, right? So when opposition comes, Will, will what comes out of you be a reflection of all that Christ has done in you? And will others go, what, what is this about you? Because we're, we're, it's going to look like something. Our defense is going to look like something because we started by honoring Christ with our lives. It says, honor, the Lord as honor Christ the Lord as holy. Our countenance and character, the way we live our lives is going to honor Christ when we care more about what God thinks than what man thinks. So that's, that's the first place that we start. Before we think about, well, how, what am I going to say? How am I going to respond to that? The first place you start is press into Jesus. Abide in Christ. Get to know, continue to be in the word every day. Be spending time with him. Uh, allow him to conform you to the image of his son. That's the first place because that's the thing that they're going to see. That's the thing that they're going to see when you're pressed. You're going to, something's going to ooze out of you that's not oozing out of everybody else. And then they're going to ask. And so be prepared to share your story. Think about the details of your story. What happened to you prior to Christ? What were you like before knowing Christ? What were the details that surrounded you coming to faith in the Lord Jesus? And then how has Christ changed you? So think, of, think in those categories and be able to say it in five minutes if you have five minutes. Or if you only have two minutes, be able to share it in two minutes. 
If you only have 30 seconds, be able to, you can share it in 30 seconds. Be prepared to make a defense for the hope that is in you. Share of the story. But as you do, be gentle and respectful. Look at that. So always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason, the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. It says, it has, says be prepared to make a defense. It doesn't say be offensive. It doesn't say you're better than the other people who don't know Jesus, so you just need to let them know they're sinners. We had this guy, you've probably heard me talk about him before, on my campus when I was in college. And every fall, when we would walk through the middle of campus, this guy would be standing there yelling at people, telling them that they're sinners, telling them that they're going to hell. And inevitably, people would argue with that individual. He was not facing persecution for doing good. He was facing it for being a jerk. He was. He wasn't loving people. There wasn't an overflow of gentleness. He wasn't respecting where people were at. He wasn't being compassionate to understand that maybe people are walking through hard things that are, that, that's, that's hindered them from responding to Christ. No, he was just beating them over the head with the Bible and saying, you need to do this. And as we interact with others and they ask us, the, the purpose of our interaction with them is not to win an argument. Yes, should we study the truth and be able to, to defend our faith? Absolutely. But the goal is not to win an argument. The goal is to save souls. We want to care about their condition before Christ. Warren Wearsby said, no Christian should ever suffer because of evil doing, and no Christian should be surprised if he suffers for well-doing. We don't want to tick people off because we're angry. But when we do what's good and they respond, we shouldn't be shocked when they respond in that way to us. So let's evaluate our lives. Let's consider what are we being the aroma of Christ to God or are they more aware of our perspective on some political matter or issue? How do they know that? What do they hear come out of your mouth? What do they read on your social media posts? What are they seeing? People are watching. The lost world is watching, and we want to be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in us. May they see the hope that is in us. And, and when, they, when, when given the opportunity, may we share about that hope with them. God, I pray that you would do that in our midst. I pray, and I know that's happened because I've heard many of you share stories as you've interacted with someone at your workplace or in your neighborhood. Someone's noticed something different about you, and it's opened the door for the gospel, and many of you are already doing this. But if things amp up and more opposition comes, there'll be greater opportunity for us to share this story of what Christ has done in us. And when that comes, we want to fix our gaze on Christ. When suffering comes, we need to fix our gaze on 
Christ. Look at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. We need to look to Christ, the one who suffered. Peter talked about it earlier in the letter. He talks about it again. We need to look to Christ when suffering comes. That's where we're going to hold on. We're not going to hold on because we pull up by our bootstraps or we come up with every kind of scenario of, of what we might do if this happens, what we know, we need to look to Christ. Now, as we look to Christ, and as we go through this passage, there's a reality. We come across some, some verses that are kind of hard to understand and actually don't make a lot of sense at first reading, at, at second reading. And so I want to just look at those. Let's just take it aside. So after it says being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, look at verse 19, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. That sounds really interesting, but I really want to know. Who are the spirits in prison? What did Jesus preach to them? When did he preach to them? And, and here, I'll, I'll, I'll clear this up for you. What this means. I don't know. I don't know. I studied a bunch of commentators, and you know what? Each one of them had a different take on it. And not just like a little bit of a different take. You'd read one guy, read this other individual, and they weren't even in the same planet. You're just like, what? What is this supposed to mean? And so I'm like, ah, what, what do we do? What do we do when we come to a passage in Scripture? I know this is not the main reason for this passage. We're talking about suffering for righteousness. But what do you do when you come to a passage in Scripture you don't get? Well, the first thing you do is you pray. You pray. God, reveal to me what this says. And, and you look. You look at the passage in context. You look at it in the larger context of the book and in the Bible. And maybe you seek out some some commentators, maybe some other people that have seen some things, but even if you do all of that and you come to a place where you're like, I still don't get it. What you need to focus on is not what you don't know, but on what you do know. Because his ways are higher than our ways. There are going to be some things that just aren't going to make sense. But here, as we look at these few verses, what do we know? Because he references Noah and that says that he talks about Noah and Noah was, uh, the, well, the ark was being prepared in which if a few, that is eight, were brought through the water safely. What do we know about Noah? Here's what we know about Noah. Noah and his family were a minority who were surrounded by hostile unbelievers. 
And so Peter is addressing a people who are in the same scenario. Noah was righteous in the midst of a wicked people. If you remember the story of Noah, he's like, God's ready to destroy the world and everything, but no, he finds a righteous man. And so Peter is exhorting his readers to live righteously. Noah witnessed boldly to those around him. And Peter is exhorting us to do the same thing. Noah realized that judgment was coming soon upon the whole world. And so Peter is reminding us that judgment is coming on the whole world. And we know that Christ was there from the beginning. When we studied the Gospel of John, we knew that Christ was there at the very beginning. He didn't just come on the scene in the New Testament. He was with God the Father because all things were made through him. So he was there throughout the whole Old Testament. And at the time of Noah, God was patiently waiting the repentance of unbelievers. And Christ was probably utilizing Noah to preach a message to preach a message to those who were not believers, that they would hear the message, that they would repent and believe in God, that they would be saved. Even though they didn't respond. So those people who were with Noah, maybe they were the ones that were in prison, not an actual prison, but a spiritual prison because their hearts were hardened and they were darkened. But whether it's that or not, Here's what we know. Noah was finally saved with a few others. Noah was finally saved. He was carried through. So what do we know as we look? We, we know that we can be encouraged to be bold like Noah was bold. We know and can be confident that God will certainly save us as he saved Noah. And we can know that there's a final judgment that will certainly come upon the world and that we want to desperately tell others about it so that they can be safely carried through just like Noah and his family were carried through the coming flood. There is a coming flood. And if you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from the wrath that is to come, because it's not going to be a physical flood of water covering the earth because that's not going to happen again. It's going to be the reality that we will all one day stand before a holy God and we will answer for everything that we've done. Will you stand before him and pay the penalty that's due you for not living a perfect life? Or will you say, I'm with him? Will you be found in Christ Jesus and carried safely through? I'm serious about that. Whether you're watching online or you're here, it's coming. And the hope isn't uh, what we see here. The hope is that we are found in Christ and we're carried through. And even as we, so even if we don't know all the specifics of what we see in a passage, there's so much that we do know that can be encouraging to us and strengthening to us. 
Even when it talks about baptism in verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can read that and go, well, baptism, baptism can save you. It just says, baptism now saves you. Baptism doesn't save you in the sense where you you can become a Christian if you get baptized. There are some who believe that. When we do baptisms, we see it as an outward sign of something that's worked in your heart inwardly. Why? Why is it that we know that it's not baptism that saves you? Because earlier in verse 18, we know it's Jesus who saves you. Look back at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. It's only Christ who brings us to God. It's only by confessing and believing in him that brings us to God. So that even if we look at verse 21, we can look at it in light of that. So the meaning isn't a literal, like this is, this is a thing that saves you. This action saves you. No, it represents what has been done. Only Jesus saves, and we're found in him. So back to, as, as, as Peter comes and shares this, shares that suffering is going to come, and that Christ also suffered, we need to look to Christ, because suffering is promised. If we... If you leave your finger there, if you were to flip to Luke 21, I'm going to read verses 10 to 13. Then Jesus said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be a great, there will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. I know it's hard for us to grasp because we live in a land in a a day, even right now, where we're not worried if someone's going to come crashing through those doors and hauling us off because we're we're proclaiming the name of Christ. But if that day comes, I want you to quickly have your mind brought to these passages of Scripture. I want you to quickly go to the place of hope in Christ. Because this is promised. And you can say when it happens to you, rather than pushing back against it, rather than giving into the temptation to to give evil for evil. And then you go, no, this was promised. This is, it's here now. And I need to remember that Jesus paid the penalty for sins once for all. I need to remember that Jesus has restored my relationship with God because he brought me to God. I need to remember that Jesus rose from the dead at the end of verse 21 through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which assures your resurrection, so matter, no matter what suffering you might go through, no matter what challenge you may face, there's something that's absolutely certain, that Jesus is coming back and he's going to take you back up with him. And you can know 
if you find yourself in a place, maybe it's in prison. Jesus is ruling over all things at God's right hand. Verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. He is ruling and reigning. You may have heard and even been praying for Pastor Brunson, who at one time, uh, when our church uh, started, uh, was in prison in Turkey. He was there for two years. And every day, he experienced temptations to discouragement, despondency, hopelessness. Is God there? And in the midst of that sorrow, in the midst of that suffering, God reminded him of these truths and many others to walk him through. And that's not just something that happens in a far off land. That may not be something that just happens in a far off land. For some of you may be called to go to those far off lands and share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There will come a time where you can fly again internationally. You can get on a boat and you can go to other places. And some of us are going to need to go to those places and not be hindered by the opposition that is there. Some of us will be called to stay rather than given the temptation to find another more comfortable place to go to. But when opposition starts to come, we need to stand firm and live righteously because there will be an opportunity to share about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if the Lord wills that to happen, may he use us powerfully to share the gospel, to see some saved, that they'd be carried safely through, as we have been. Let's pray. Father, I'm aware in my own life right now that I I am not intimately experiencing this kind of opposition. There are even laws in our land, at least for now, that when something's wrong that's done to me, it can be made right. But I pray for us right now. I ask God for me. I pray for us, Lord, that when opposition comes, that we would not return evil for evil. That like Dirk Willems, we would hold on to the blessed hope of the gospel and that we would bless. What would flow out of us would be blessing and not cursing. So God, I pray as we anticipate maybe a day when that could happen, Lord, do the work in us now. Do the work in us now. Let there be unity now. May there be brotherly love now. May there be all those things that become a part of who we are. That that would be our experience. Lay that foundation for us. So if it be your will that that comes, we would respond with gentleness and respect. 
the way that our Savior responded. And may we look to him right now, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.